podcast at Boatwright. I am Lucretia McCulley, Director of Outreach Services at Boatwright Library. Our author today is Dr. Tom Bogfilio, William Judson Gaines Professor of Comparative Literature and Linguistics in the Department of Modern Literatures and Cultures. Professor Bonfilio is the author of a new book, Mother Tongues and Nations, The Invention of the Native Speaker. In this book, he examines the legacy of the metaphors mother tongue and native speaker by historicizing their linguistic development. Tom, thank you for joining us today. And our first question is, what inspired you to write on this particular topic? Well, thank you, Lucretia. Very nice of you to have me here. But what inspired me? Um, well, in linguistics, uh, the idea of the, the authority of the native speaker, that is, that's something that's been under uh, investigation, criticism, if you will, for quite a while now, um, starting really in the 1980s. Um, and there's, been, there, there's a ton of literature on it. Um, and basically what it does is it challenges the idea that uh, the first language speaker uh, of a certain language, if you're born into this language and it's your first language, that you automatically have authority in it and you can correct other people. You can say mm -hmm. what's right and what's wrong. Um, and of course we have a whole, we have a whole bunch of counterexamples. Uh, right here at the University of Richmond we have plenty of faculty who were not born in the United States and whose first language is not English. And they're doing a, a wonderful job of uh, correcting our student papers, uh, <laughs> the papers of American students whose uh, first language is English. Um, now, with the the, um, the research on the figure of the native speaker had been doing up until my work was talking about the ideological problems in the use of uh, the figure of the native speaker and showing how that it is not objective. Um, and showing its nationalist, uh, the nationalist elements in it, and also the uh, ethnocentric elements in it. Um, that um, the conclusion is that in a lot of cases, when you invoke the rights of the native speaker, the authority of the native speaker on, on, on a given language, what you're doing is you're operating on a dynamic of inclusion and exclusion. There's a native population um, born into a language with a birthright, and you're excluding you're excluding an other. Okay, so it's a way of othering. Also, um, linguistics has gotten away from the term native speaker now, uh, probably for about the past 25 years, maybe 20, and replacing it with first language speaker. Uh, L1 and L2 is what we say: first language, second language. And you can have a whole bunch of first languages depending on what's spoken at home. And you can have a whole bunch of second languages. And we've gotten away from native uh, because native has a lot of ethnic connotations, prejudicial mm -hmm. connotations. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> what had not been done was, uh, you know, there's been plenty of, of, of uh, research on uh, the problems using uh, this term, but no one had ever historicized it. No one had ever shown where it came from. And I just figured that, um, well, if if it's not a given, right? If it's not, a, if it's really not an ontological part of language, then it must have been created somewhere. And I went about trying to uh, figure it out, figure out why and where it was, uh, where where it was created. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> 
Well, how do you think the, um, the University of Richmond community could use this book to address various social issues on campus? Well, what it does is um, I found that uh, the terms uh, native speaker and mother tongue, these are the, the, the ones that are, mm -hmm. are, are most commonly used. And, of course, in uh, linguistics, we do get away from those. But I did locate where they arose, and they arose. Um, I, I restricted my research to Western Europe. Um, to the Western European tradition, uh, uh, Latin and Greek, and then uh, the Western European languages, that the terms arose in the early Renaissance. Uh, they were not present in antiquity. The Romans did not speak of, uh, the Romans did not use those metaphors. Mm -hmm. uh, the Greeks had not used them either. And the Romans talked of uh, sermo patrios, which was basically uh, just the speech of the country. And the Greeks talked about uh, uh, glossa attike, basically Attic speech, uh, the speech of Athens. Um, the terms native, uh, native language and mother tongue arose in the uh, early Renaissance period when the nation states started forming. And the nation states started forming and writing in their own languages. Right? That was one of the major breaks. Um, with uh, the Middle Ages was <clears throat> the formation of the nation states, the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire, and the beginnings of writing in the vernacular, writing in Italian instead of Latin, French instead of Latin, German instead of Latin. Now, the problem was that in order to argue for writing in the vernacular instead of Latin, you had to say that the vernacular was better than Latin, or at least just as good. Um, that's a problem because there's no, there's nothing written in the vernacular. There's no history. There's no philosophy. Mm -hmm. All you have are some, um, some literary texts, some legal documents. But there's no tradition. You have no, uh, no tradition. So they had to invent attributes, and the attributes that they invented were uh, natural ones, were uh, ones that. Um, were located in the body and in the family, and that's where native comes from and, and mother tongue comes from. Dante was the first to argue this. Dante said that uh, Latin is artificial and Italian is more natural, uh, his own Italian Florentine, because that's what we learn when we're being suckled by our nursemaids. We learn it at the mother's breast. Mm -hmm. And what does he? What does that do? Well, that introduces notions of uh, bodiliness, uh, corporeality, ethnicity, and it, it, it evokes the image of, um, of, of the, the nursing mother, and of course the major figure of the nursing mother in the Middle Ages, the late Middle Ages, was uh, the Virgin Mary. So he's accessing religion, uh, the mother of God, and Italian mothers, Italian families, so he's got a combination there of religion and ethnicity. This is what uh, you should speak. It's more original. It's more natural. Mm -hmm. And then it moves on from there. All of the nation states adopt that argument. And uh, that's where these metaphors come from, native, natural, um, mother, and so on. And uh, they do it in an act of exclusion. Uh, this is my native language. I own it. Uh, I was suckled with it at the mother's breast. And you, if, you weren't, if you weren't suckled by an Italian mother, then you'll never, you'll never be Italian. Mm -hmm. um, if you weren't raised by an English mother, you'll never be English. Uh, and then I, what I do is I, I trace how those, um, uh, 
the, uh, those ideas expand throughout Europe. Now, how does that benefit our learning community here? Well, people can see the connections between um, language and ethnic prejudice, language and nationalism. And what it does is it illuminates those connections between language and, and uh, nationalism in ways that are not uh, visible on the surface. Uh, one of the reactions I got to some of my research, even from some linguists, especially from some classicists, was, well, what's wrong with mother tongue? What's wrong with native speaker? And these were people who were not really um, that up on the research that was going, and they said, oh, there's nothing wrong with it. But, um, you know, I, did what, I think my research helped to show that these apparently neutral terms can, uh, uh, can carry along with them, uh, stow away some... Uh, uh, some very uh, damaging ideas. Right? And it's just the way we, for instance, we look at, we, we're constantly re-examining our terms for so-called race and ethnicity. We're, we're constantly redefining them because we, we find that some of them do uh, communicate prejudices that we don't want to communicate. Right? And by using them, we're, we're furthering those prejudices, and we should be aware of that. Okay, good. And um, following up on that a little bit more, how would you envision undergraduate students using this book for their study and research? Well, you know, we have a lot of students studying abroad. Um, and when I, I actually have used this book, and I'm using it now in the mm -hmm. two courses, I'm teaching two linguistics courses this semester, and I've actually used it um, in, those, in those courses. And students who have studied abroad uh, have noticed this. You know, they've noticed the, the, the protectionist uh, strategies in um, And the, these ideas of the, the, the rights of the, uh, the native, native speaker. Also, a lot of the argumentation in the book um, does problematize uh, clearly that authority, historicizes and it problematizes it. And it can give the student, the second language learner, um, a bit of confidence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, help them relate, uh, you know, their own struggles with, uh, with the L2, with the second language, uh, with uh, some information that they may have here already, the fact that they have a, um, a so-called foreign <laughs> professor who's uh, doing fine in English, uh, matter of fact, better than they are, mm -hmm. but that person has an odd accent. Mm -hmm. okay? And then they start thinking about, well, what is, what is an accent? What's the relationship between an accent and, and a language. Why do we say that a certain accent is more natural or sounds more natural? Now, in linguistics, there's no such thing as a natural accent. Accents change all the time. Um, English speakers have different accents from different regions, um, some of which are uh, mutually unintelligible. There's some forms of American English that are not mutually intelligible with some forms of Cockney or British English. Some American dialect speakers that are very hard hard time being understood by English dialect speakers. So, which is the natural accent? Mm -hmm. I can't say. These are um, these are in flux, and um, yeah. So, I think it, it can help them in their own uh, uh, attempts to own struggles learning a, a second language, and also uh, kind of open up uh, their eyes to the way language works in ways that they didn't think about. Before. I hope that doesn't sound too presumptuous. No, but. <laughs> no, I think that makes makes good sense. And our last question: 
how did library services support you in writing this book? Well, this is the, um, the second book uh, that I've written while I've been at the University of Richmond. And in the acknowledgments, each one starts off with um, uh, my gratitude to interlibrary loan <laughs> services. I could not have done this without uh, the interlibrary loan mm -hmm. services of Richmond. I actually put that in, in both acknowledgments. Um, my first book that I, that I wrote here came out in 2002, and it was about the uh, standardization of the American pronunciation, how the standardization of um, <clears throat> pronunciation came about in the United States. And I had to find the most obscure stuff. Um, I was looking at how pronunciation was taught in kindergarten and primary school. And I was getting these obscure kindergarten readers, primers, mm -hmm. from the Toledo Public Library. <laughs> and, you know, I had all kinds of places. And I had not one peep of discomfort from any of the people in interlibrary loan. Uh, they were, they cheerfully went after whatever I could find. If they couldn't find it, they'd look somewhere else. And, um, you know, I've worked, I, I've done research in other libraries uh, where people are not all that generous. So, uh, yeah, that's how they help. They help me just find stuff quickly, uh, get extensions, um, find sources I didn't know about. Uh, it's one of the real perks of being at Richmond is that, um, you know, the kind of support you get for, uh, for research here that, uh, you know, although we're not a research institution, um, you know, categorically we're not a research institution, we're a liberal arts college. Uh, in order to keep our research going while we're teaching, uh, we have better, our, our library support services are as good as they are at a research library, uh, if not better. Well, thank you. That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are doing a good job. So. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Bonfilio, for your conversation today. Mother Tongues and Nations, The Invention of the Native Speaker is available in Boatwright Library and is on sale in the University Bookstore. You've been listening to podcasts at Boatwright. Our guest was Dr. Tom Bonfilio. Your host was Lucretia McCauley. Editing and production was performed by Andy Morton. Visit Boatwright Library on the web at library.richmond.edu.